0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Kino, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's October the 8th, 2021. It's mid-morning in California on the West Coast, the Pacific Coast. I'm in San Francisco, as I always am. Uh, as this show has gone daily uh, over the last 18 months since COVID, I think three things have, have dominated the show. One way or the other, practically every interview we do seems to touch on one of these three things. The first, of course, is COVID, New York Times. This is a map I've often featured. Uh, the, the plague, COVID, um, continues To take many lives. I think it's almost up to 700,000 Americans um, have died. Many other millions have caught this awful disease. Uh, We on the coast in California are less susceptible now. It's more in the northwest um, of the country and, of course, the Midwest. But COVID continues to dominate the news. Uh, The second thing, and this is, of course, a particularly Californian thing, is the destruction of the uh, of the environment. I was going to say universe. For us, it's the universe. Uh, There's a fire watch now uh, today uh, issued for all of northern California for next week. Uh, We haven't had rain for months, if not years. Um, And apparently these fires may have killed hundreds of giant sequoias, uh, our beautiful trees in northern California. Um, the third thing is this decline of the American empire, a crisis of elites. A piece in the New York Times this morning spoke of these new Pandora papers underlining the crisis of the elites. People don't trust anyone anymore. Uh, America or the old American 20th century American empire is in decline, perhaps terminal decline. Uh, David Brooks, who's a sort of classic manifestation of that decline, both uh, as a messenger and as a message has a piece about this, the mindset that's tearing us apart. So the real question then is, uh, are, we, are we Rome? Uh, you remember uh, Cullen Murphy a few years ago wrote uh, a book about this. Uh, is America, with its combination of disease and, um, and uh, crisis of elites and the plague, are we Rome? Someone also wrote a book about this. Uh, My guest today, Kyle Harper, uh, wrote a very prescient book called The Fate of Rome Climate Disease and the End of an Empire. And several people have recommended that I get Kyle on the show. Uh, He's a professor of classical studies and a a, a remarkably um, erudite man. This is actually not the book that we're going to talk about on the show, because he has a new book out called Plagues Upon the Earth, which is an even more profound uh, uh, voyage into this confluence of environmental, political, cultural and biological decay. Uh, And I'm thrilled that uh, Kyle is joining us. Uh, uh, He has a wonderful jacket. Uh, Kyle, before we get into some serious stuff, explain that red jacket for us.
1: Uh, People, by the way, I,
0: for podcast listeners, uh, this is the reddest of jackets. It's the reddest jacket I think we've ever had on the show.
1: That's a, that's a great compliment. Well, as you thanks for the invitation, Andrew, and the kind introduction. I'm, I'm a very proud Oklahoma Sooner, and uh, we have our very big rivalry game with the University of Texas this weekend. In fact, I'm in Dallas now for, for the big game. Uh, it's a it's an intense rivalry with two fan bases that have hated each other forever. Who play in a neutral site, so the stadium's divided half and half, uh, and you have to bring everything you've got to this game. So this is my lucky jacket. Uh, wear it to to show which side I'm on. Make sure there's no ambiguity about that, and hopefully bring a little magic to the Sooners.
0: Well, Carl, you you have the name of a baseball player or a football player, but you're actually one of the most remarkable remarkably erudite uh, academics in the world today. I mean, you've got this amazing new book out, not new book, old book, but it's increasingly relevant. Uh, the Fate of Rome, Climate Disease, and the End of an Empire. As I said, several people, several um, historians uh, recommended the book. Um, I think we had, uh, uh, we had uh, uh, all sorts of people on the show recommending your book what is it that you you wrote in this book when when it came out what about five or six years ago yeah
1: 2017 so really i was writing it between about 2013 or 14 and 2017 and it's a book that tries to look at the the history of climate change and the history of pandemic disease uh, in an ancient period of history i'm a roman historian And we often tell the story of Rome's decline in terms of moral decay or political decay, civil war, barbarian invasions that that weaken the Roman Empire and eventually tear it apart. And a lot of that is still true. Absolutely. You need the, the human dimensions. But I think we now have a much deeper understanding of the ways in which the, the fate of an empire like Rome's wasn't just a human story and we can actually understand it better if we see the interplay between nature and human factors. So uh, I've tried to learn, draw from what we've learned about the history of climate change and particularly about uh, the history of pandemic diseases because the Roman Empire suffered a series of really violent pandemics that played a role in the weakening of the empire.
0: As I said, uh, two of the people who have been on the show recently, also classical historians, Edward J. Watts uh, and David Potter, they have interesting new books out on disruption and whether or not we can learn from Rome. Both of them suggested uh, your book. Are we Rome then? To repeat, uh, Cullen Murphy's famous question.
1: Uh, you know, as a as a Roman historian, I love being asked the question, but I also uh, don't like giving a, a simple answer. Of course, you know anybody with a PhD uh, probably doesn't love simple answers and well
0: you're in tech you're going to Texas Carl everyone wants simple answers in Texas so so true so let, let's just speak to Texas for the Texas. moment uh, are we Rome
1: we don't have to be Rome we have tools that they didn't they didn't understand what was causing climate change they didn't understand infectious diseases unfortunately human nature doesn't change so uh, fear and delusion and division uh, we can understand but we have, we have technology, we have modern science. So uh, I'd like to, to think that we have the resources to confront some of the challenges. Technically, it's just a matter of mustering the, the political and social will to do it.
0: Well, okay, Carl, before we get on to your, your new book, Plagues Upon the Earth, which is a broader treatment of the history of plague, the history of humanity and technology and politics, um, what do Rome and 21st century america have in common more specifically is it this confluence of environmental cultural political and biological crisis
1: yeah i'd say two things one is that in many ways actually infectious diseases and environmental problems more generally are paradoxically a a symptom of our success and so all of the forces of globalization which has have so many benefits um cultural and economic benefits that bring humans closer together also have downsides. And that's certainly what happened in the Roman period. The Romans are a, a culture, a civilization that experienced a kind of early globalization. They are very connected with the worlds of Africa, East Asia, uh, and far northern Eurasia. So uh, that globalization brings many cultural and economic benefits to Rome, but it also ultimately allows infectious diseases to travel further and faster than they ever had before. So they're kind of a victim of their success. And I actually think there are, there are parallels for us as well. And then second is that environmental challenges are always a part of human history. They're always a part of what a society is going to confront. But it's always the, the combination of political and environmental crisis that proves most dangerous. And the way those swirl together uh, is what can, can really cause... Uh, serious downturns for civilizations. That's what happened to Rome. uh, When they no longer had the political capacity to address their challenges, then they struggled to to endure. The same with us. I think we have the capacity, uh, but if we uh, let our political and social challenges overwhelm us, then I think we're going to really struggle to uh, confront climate change uh, and future pandemics.
0: Kyle, what is it about antiquity that should make us so wise Uh, You know, the traditional Renaissance or Enlightenment view is that we were the product in a very positive, proud way. Now we're reversing that. Um, As I mentioned, we've had Ed Watts and and David Potter. I'm sure you're familiar with both of them on the show recently. Uh, We also had uh, Nicholas Christakis from MIT, who has a new book out about learning about COVID from Rome. And another brilliant classical historian, Walter Scheidel from Stanford, um, who's written a series of books about inequality. Um, are historians of antiquity, are you particularly wise? Are you grounded in wisdom? Is it a good discipline? What leads people like yourself and Scheidel and Christakis and so many others to, to make perhaps more sense of the world than contemporary historians or social scientists?
1: Well, I think there's maybe a few advantages that come from from studying antiquity. One is is obviously just a greater depth of perspective, and you know we can look at the COVID nineteen pandemic, which I'm sure we'll will come to soon enough. But uh, but I really think that we can't understand it fully without deeper time perspective, and so looking uh, back centuries to understand what are the patterns that that influence the, the emergence of infectious diseases? And what are the human factors that drive evolutionary change in pathogens? So uh, I think one, it just gives you greater depth um, instead of just knowing what happened yesterday, uh, knowing what happened the week before and the year before, gives you a, a bigger sense of, of all of the long-term patterns of change and a greater sense of all of the variables that are, that are really in play. And then, second, um I'll be the the first person to to stand up and defend the the enduring value of the classics. I think the the study of classical antiquity has always had uh, intrinsic value, and uh, it's not just the the study of cultures and ideas that are influential on us, but also cultures and ideas that are different from our own and help us understand ourselves better. Uh, and so I think there's um, An important place for the humanities in, in giving well-rounded education. I think we, uh, I would argue uh, that that's one thing that COVID nineteen has really underscored: is that confronting problems that are really complex and are not just technical problems, but are but are human problems, social problems, uh, are really going to be best addressed holistically and by people who have a depth of understanding about the the range of human experience and human ideas uh, will help us confront those challenges better. So I think the, the fact that we developed vaccines really, really quickly and still have stumbled and in so many ways tragically failed tells us that science alone isn't enough. We have, we have to have science. We have to have virology and microbiology. But we also need people who understand how societies work and how human beings work, how human beings think. Uh, to, to really address these complex human environmental problems.
0: That's hard to find, of course, Carl, but you've, I think you've done it with your your new book. It's a magnum opus. It's not the magnum opus. I'm sure you have many more books in you. Plagues Upon the Earth, Disease and the Course of Human History. It's about 500 pages of, 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 of incredibly erudite and coherent argument about disease, uh, indeed disease and and the course of human history, Uh, but it doesn't start with science. It starts with John Donne, of all people, the uh, 17th century English poet, scholar and soldier, and his poem, An Anatomy of the World. This is your inscription at the beginning of the book, and I'm quoting Donne, this new world may be safer, being told the dangers and diseases of the old. For with due temper, men do then forget or covet things uh, when their true worth know there is no health. Physicians say that we at best enjoy but a neutrality. And can there be worse sickness than to know that we are never well, nor can be so? Why do you begin with Don's anatomy um, of the world?
1: Well, uh, I, I love that poem. I love John Donne, uh, the early 17th century uh, English poet whose poetry is so metaphysical and beautifully lyrical. Uh, and Donne, throughout his life, um, suffered a great deal from infectious disease. He probably had uh, what we think was typhus in 1623, which is a little after this poem. Uh, and then he lived through the, the plague in 1625. So he was a person, a poet, uh, who knew what infectious disease was. And in fact, his, uh, his bout with typhus, which was a very, very nasty disease in 1623, um, is what really inspired some of his best poetry and some of the most famous lines of English poetry, you ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for me, uh, actually come out of that sickness. So uh, I just love Dunn, and I think it's one of those um, lines of poetry that works for a Uh, an epigram in two different ways. It's rich in really its authentic meaning for done. Uh, But then it also, and great poetry often does this, uh, I think it speaks to us in ways that he didn't necessarily intend. Uh, In his world, what he meant was that health is kind of a balance. They didn't understand germ theory. Uh, And so the doctor saying you can never be well um, mean that um, at best, you're in a kind of fragile balance with your body and the world. Uh, and I think there's something profound about that. And even though Dunn didn't know what we know about the causes of infectious disease, it still really speaks to us um, in unintentional ways. So uh, I, I think the, the epigram maybe works on a few different levels. I'm glad you asked
0: about it. Uh, Kyle, we had... Uh, Giulio Boccelletti on the show recently. He has a really mm. interesting book out telling the history of the world essentially as the history of water. Your new book Plagues Upon the Earth is a kind of history of the world and of our species. Um, is 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 plague the heart of it? Are you telling the history of humanity through plague?
1: I think it's one of the the most powerful prisms through which we can think about the the big history of humanity. And obviously what I'm doing in this book is trying to tell the the human story between two covers to put it uh, on one canvas. And I think there are advantages and disadvantages. Obviously you lose a certain amount of detail, uh, but you can gain a a kind of breadth of of perspective by trying to take in the whole story in, in one stroke. So um, it is parallel to some of these other works of big history that you've mentioned. But I think germs are particularly powerful because they remind us that we're we're animals. Uh, we're, we're biological beings that we can understand through the, the lens of the natural sciences, and particularly biology and ecology. Uh, I think we actually sort of, in, at least implicitly, like to uh, fool ourselves into thinking that we're so exceptional that some of the rules don't apply to us. But the rules of nature do apply to us. And I think it's a very powerful way to think about the, the way that we've changed the world and the way that, um, that germs have, have influenced the course of our past by thinking about humans within nature. Um, so it, germs are a really powerful force in our past. And I think we can learn about our past by trying to understand the way that our infectious diseases are a part of everything. I mean, the history of infectious disease really is the history of everything. And that's one of the challenges of writing about it.
0: We also had um, Joseph Heinrich on the show. He's got a new book out, bestseller called Weird, about the uniqueness of Western man, um, which, like your book, uh, Plagues Upon the Earth, is is incredibly erudite, eclectic, but also accessible. Are you telling the opposite story to someone like... uh, uh, Henrik, I'm sure you know his work, um, we are exceptional, but kind of exceptionally bad.
1: Well, I mean, I, that's a good question, um, because I, I like his, his book very much. I don't agree with him a hundred percent, but I think it's amazing social science, and he's a brilliant, uh, broad thinker, Uh, and he's trying to argue that, um, what really makes the Western societies different is that, um, we we have the ability to um, separate out kinship from other kinds of of social relationship and trust. And so we're sort of less clannish um, than than other cultures or Western cultures are. So um, so he, he's making an argument about why is the West different from the rest of the world? And I actually think some of those themes run throughout the book. Uh, I, I kind of emphasize that the West doesn't really pull ahead um, economically from, other parts of the world until the 16th or 17th century but when it does infectious diseases are part and parcel of the story they really shape um, colonialism, imperialism and the development of capitalism uh, in the modern period so it does get at some of those similar themes um, I, I don't think that um, I'm necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with him I think you have to explain where does where does science come from how does it get? harness to technology to drive economic growth. So there, there's some similarity of the questions there.
0: We've had lots of shows also about the fate of capitalism. Many people argue that capitalism is done, that it's, it's run its course. Tim Jackson, um, very smart English writer, was on the show recently talking about the post-capitalist age. You also write about the fate of capitalism and its relationship to plague and disease. What's your argument?
1: Well, I think that you can't separate out modern economic growth that really takes off in the 18th century, first in England, and then spreading outwards from the the story of how humans also became healthier. And so in my last chapters, I'm trying to strike a balance between, um, if you want to just call it optimism and pessimism. I think it's amazing what humans have accomplished because of progress and because of science, that we've more than doubled the average length of the human lifespan. And we've added predictability and comfort and freedom from infection and suffering in a way that is so recent. And it's hard for us to even wrap our minds around how profound and how rapid that change is. Uh, And that's unambiguously a good thing uh, from that perspective, reducing... Unnecessary human pain and early death um, is one of the great triumphs of modernity. But I also am realistic about the unintended side effects of that, because what it has meant is that global population is completely beyond what any other species on the planet could possibly imagine. So there are already a billion people in 1800, there are 1. 1.6 billion people in 1900, there are now almost 8 billion people. And we're still going north. We're going to get to 10, 12 billion, certainly. And with that comes uh, consequences that weren't intended. That means destruction of natural ecosystems, loss of biodiversity, um, and human uh, effects on the Earth's chemical and biological systems. And on ourselves,
0: uh, Kyle, um, we've had lots of shows about the impact of the environmental apocalypse these fires that are wrecking Mm -hmm. our world Uh, and Mm -hmm. our state uh, as a species. Lucy Jones has a wonderful new book out about it, Losing Eden. Uh, Kinari Webb was on the show talking about the loss of forests. What's your take in terms of the impact of climate catastrophe um, and us as a species, particularly in terms of disease? Is there an Mm -hmm. inevitable intimacy between um, the spread of COVID-like pandemics and today's environmental apocalypse?
1: Yeah, I think, I think they're inseparable. The links are obviously very complicated. And when you have climate change, it, it just sort of stirs the pot and uh, allows evolution to, to experiment. So it does things like change the geography of mosquitoes or other insect vectors and places that are relatively... Uh, safe from infectious diseases transmitted by insects, uh, may be more exposed as as the climate changes. As um, animals move their their home ranges in response to climate change, then it drives evolution not only in them, but also in their their parasites and pathogens. So uh, there's a direct relationship. And in particular, um, things like human resource consumption, whether it's Um, fuel and energy, or whether it's uh, particularly food production and especially meat production uh, that really drive environmental degradation and simultaneously uh, foster the emergence of infectious diseases. So really, there's a lot of ways in which climate change and pandemics uh, are, are intimately tied together.
0: And what about uh, colonialism? I know you tie that also in the history of especially contemporary or modern imperialism, European imperialism. We had Kehinde Andrews on the show, whose version of history is rooted in the history of Western colonialism. You also see that as being very influential in terms of the shaping of plagues and disease.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a big part of the the story, and um, there's, there's several chapters about trying to get at the the complexity of that relationship. And um, I think that we can't understand the world without appreciating that there are really significant geographical differences in the burden of infectious disease. So tropical regions uh, have the ability to have insects at a level that promotes the the spread of diseases like malaria. Uh, and in some ways, paradoxically, that disease gradient has deterred um, colonization, uh, but in other ways, it's promoted things like the slave trade uh, in really insidious ways. And then conversely, the, the demography of disease tropical disease environments uh, has driven demand for um, the slave trade. So I, I think you have to include the disease environment as an ingredient in the power dynamics um, of the the world from the modern period on, and then especially in the 19th century, which is the the age of kind of high European imperialism, which you think of as the the kind of classic age of imperialism. The the differences in the ability to control infectious disease is an enormous part of the story. So Western Europeans, uh, in particular, um, learn how to to challenge, to confront the challenges of infectious disease. They learn how to um, use quinine to prevent malarial disease. They learn how to clean water to make sure that they aren't getting um, infections that are waterborne. So um, those differences become a particularly important part of the great divergence, um, the economic and political power differences that really uh, widen rapidly in the 19th century. And health is a part of that. The European uh, and American societies managed to uh, mostly escape really, really deadly pandemics from the 19th century on, whereas the rest of the world enters a period with some of the biggest and most deadly disease outbreaks that are often spread by um, capitalist trading networks, as well as uh, imperialist uh, military movements in the 19th century.
0: The zeitgeist has shifted, car. We're living in apocalyptic times, at least intellectually, we had the essayist, the Lisa Gabbard, a young essayist, very talented, uh, on the show recently, she talked to me about living in an era of the eternal apocalypse. I'm reading Richard Powers' new book that's, an, of all things, an Oprah book club selection, uh, which is very a, it's a very sophisticated book um, about the apocalypse, about the scientific, biological, po- political apocalypse. Um, do you think your new book, Plagues Upon the Earth, is the kind of guns, germs, and steel book for this apocalyptic age?
1: Uh, well, if, uh, if it had the same commercial success, I wouldn't be disappointed. But well, people um, are,
0: because of your focus on, on germs and your yeah. highly eclectic style, I'm, I'm sure people are going to compare you to Diamond. Uh, what are you adding to what Diamond has already done?
1: Excuse me. Um, well, he's really trying to explain um, mostly this this one, even though there's the broader scope, this one moment of why ultimately Europeans have the have the power to build enormous empires in the modern period. Uh, I think, if anything, what I'm trying to do is maybe a little bit broader um, to, to get at the, the history of health and disease from the very beginning um, right through the, the 19th century and 20th century to, um, to understand how the interplay of human progress as well as the, the sort of shocks that that entails from the environment fighting back uh, is always a part of the, the story. So uh, it's really kind of getting at different questions. Why do humans have the diseases that we have? What role have they played in um, human social development, population change? Inequality within societies as well as. Uh, and you
0: borrow sides. from, I mean, you don't borrow from Scheidel, but Scheidel, who is another of your uh, his, uh, distinguished historians of antiquity, has, has written a lot about that inequality.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, Walter's one of the best ancient historians alive and a good friend. And, um, you know, he talks about this a lot in The Great Leveler um, his second to last book.
0: Yeah. Which uh, he came on the show to talk about.
1: Oh, good. 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 Well, you, then, you know, um, his, his big argument about the importance of these cataclysmic events, yeah. being long- war
0: in disease, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which maybe we can talk about in another time. Uh, Kyle, uh, old friend of mine, Martin Reese, uh, the British astronomer, Royal, a remarkable, remarkably erudite, articulate, and energetic yeah. man, even in his eighties, uh, in, in two thousand and three, wrote a book called *Our Final Hour*, and then he has a new book out on the future prospects for humanity. He's been on the show to talk to me about this. Uh, he's ambivalent but reasonably pessimistic. How pessimistic are you about our fate? I mean, yeah. is it? Are we close to our final hour? Is our is our goose cooked?
1: Let me let me uh, maybe surprise you and say that. Um... I'm I'm actually more of an optimist in the long run that humans can
0: survive in the long run, right? If we
1: can, can survive. Um, I'm I'm not an optimist over the next five to ten years, but but I think if we look at what's happening right now in response to COVID nineteen, we see that humans are remarkably innovative and the development of three safe and effective vaccines, the development of new vaccine platforms, viral therapeutics, new testing. Um, there's a great burst of innovation going on uh, that's gonna help us be ready for the next pandemic. I'd give our scientific response an A++. It's more our political and social capacities that that are concerning. And I think there's a similar uh, parallel in, in the climate realm as well. I mean, what's happening with, with clean energy technologies is is amazing. Humans are going to are capable of amazing things, um, so I think we're. I'm optimistic about our technical capacities and the, the ability of innovation to help us confront some of these problems. But whether it's climate or the next pandemic, uh, what I'm concerned about is our our political wherewithal to to find the politics that can let us grapple with these problems that are. So big. And I think that's why Martin Rees is, is so good at helping us understand. Yeah, he's a great
0: guy. We need to get you on the show with him. Um, oh, that'd be fun. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Jeanette Winterson, brilliant British novelist, mm-hmm. feminist activist. But um, she has a new book out about AI. Can new technology and she, surprisingly enough, is also reasonably optimistic about the future, given the nature of new technology. Can AI, can new technology save us, uh, Kyle?
1: I don't know that that AI can can save us. Um, I think it's going to be energy technologies and health technologies um, that are really going to transform the the prospects for humanity. If if and it's a big if. I mean, I'm a cautious optimist. Um, if we can find the political maturity to address what are really global problems, and that's what's so hard is that you know, politics and cooperation and communities. Um, often work best at, at scales that are not global. And uh, these problems are absolutely global problems. And that's where we have to really find, look deep inside ourselves to find ways to address these big challenges.
0: Well, if you want to look really deep inside yourself, you need to read Carl Harper's new book, Plagues Upon the Earth. He's really, and I'm not just saying it, Kyle, because of your your red jacket. You really are a remarkable, I mean, you look like a baseball player. You have the name of a baseball player. You look like an athlete. I don't know how you have the time to do everything you do. I mean, not only write these remarkable books, Plagues Upon the Earth and the Fate of Rome, but also have enough time to go and watch your university football team in Texas. You're doing something right. Do you ever sleep?
1: Uh, n- not not as much as I'd like, but uh, that's more to do with kids waking me up in the night. So
0: and you've got kids. Well, I don't know what you're doing, right? But you need to tell the rest of us, uh, Kyle. In uh, this book, I think is going to be the uh, the guns, and steel uh, for our apocalyptic times. Congratulations on the book. You are you've you've put your finger on the zeitgeist, or maybe you're creating it. Um, what else are you reading or listening to or watching that people should uh, should, sh- should uh, watch out for? You you clearly are ahead of everyone on a lot of fronts.
1: Well, I, I've been since finishing up the the book, I've been enjoying the the chance to step back and um, try and figure out what's next. And I've been reading a lot about biodiversity um, and trying to think about that from a historical perspective and the ways that humans shape um, the the success or failure of other animal species so um elizabeth colbert and there's a new book on insects called the silent earth um that, mm. that i'm getting into um and then some of the older stuff too i just reread uh eo wilson's old book on biodiversity it's still yeah, so he's good. come uh, up
0: often and and, wow. and um yeah good well kyle it's it's um real honor uh pleasure, pleasure i wanted mine. to get you on the show because your name keeps on coming i i think this this new book um Plagues Upon the Earth is going to be one of those bestsellers. Everyone will buy it. I'm not sure everyone will read it, but it will be on everyone's <laughs> shelf. Okay.
1: That's okay. It'll, oh, yeah, it'll You
0: don't care as long as they buy it. Uh, your Fate of Rome is also, uh, uh, in a way, it's a kind of a more accessible beginning to your work. And then, uh, so I, I think people should read The Fate of Rome first and then uh, Plagues Upon the Earth. But either way, your work needs to be read. Congratulations Thank on you. the new book. Kyle, Thank you. best of luck tomorrow in the football. And uh, congratulations again on the jacket and keep well, keep thinking, we need you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Andrew.